We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rockball Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and we're here staring down the barrel of the Week 18. Chris, bonus football. I like it. Free games. It's all out there in front of us, Chris. Everything. Everything. Winning. Uh, winning in. I'll tell you what's behind us. The 2021 NFL fantasy football season. Wild times, Chris. Wild times. How did you do this year? Uh, I'm in two money leagues, $100 each. I was in, I finished in third and one and got bounced in the first by the sixth seed, who eventually won my cousin Steven. And then uh, my other league, I've, Placed eighth. I barely got into the playoffs over Dr. Kyle Trimble. And I got bounced in the first round. It's You it, lost to the doctor? No. I got over I got in the playoffs over him. Oh, okay. He just, he just missed. Yeah, suck it, Trimble. The <laughs> I banged up Bill's Dr. Kyle Trimble. No, yeah. he's he's a great well, dude. Like our uh, our points four. I had like two more points than him all <laughs> season, but and that he, was the tiebreaker? No, it was that I beat him in the regular season. Ugh. But then I bench. It's my my one league that I'm that I'm I've been in for seven years. It's very rare that the one and two seeds end up in the finals, and that actually happened this year with the two seed beating the one seed. Well, I love that. I actually uh, I made a good run this year in our fantasy football league, the Rock Pile Report Listener League, and yet it was Anthony Sherpa who took the whole thing. I again, I've never met you, sir. I feel like we owe you one though. Who did he beat? <laughs> Jesus, I checked out, dude. I, I got embarrassed so badly in that league. Like, I really paid attention this draft. I thought I did my homework. 
I tried and I thought I put together like, let's see, let's look at the scoreboard. So he beat all oh, the Miami Sharks. Oh no. That's Partham, I think. Oh, Michael Partham lost in the championship game. Oh, that's got a sting. Mike. God, Mike. Let's see who else. Uh, wide right finish there. Is that Eric Harris? I think it's Eric. Oh, Eric Harris, last year's champ. We still owe him, but I'm waiting for him to come to the come here to Buffalo before I give him his, his winning. He's Anthony. A pi- he's a pilot. You got your own plane. Get over here. Anthony, you've won our league. We owe you. Let's get in touch. DM us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Let's chat about what you get for winning the Rockpile Report Listener League. He gets to shave your back. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, dude. Well, you know, you also, pro- it's why I took yoga for all those years, so I yeah. can shave my own back. You probably can with a long arm. I can absolutely reach every part of my back with a three-blade razor. Hell yeah. No, so my fantasy football season, I Chris, I pulled something off that I think is sort of unprecedented. I suck at drafting wide receivers. Terrible job at drafting wide receivers. So my teams are usually Bill Belichick of fantasy. Yes. And and in fact, uh, a year or two ago, I got so drunk at the draft. I forgot to draft one before round eight. So that's the thing that happens. Um, Yeah, it doesn't ever go well for me. So my teams are always running back heavy, tight end heavy, quarterback heavy. Because I just can't seem to pick out star wide receivers. And yet this year, I think I inadvertently, now I had the worst luck, it's a keeper league, and my keepers were supposed to be Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins. And they both went out immediately in the preseason before the draft. So my keepers ended up being Chase Edmonds and Noah Fant, because I had nobody else worth a damn on my roster. So my team was already pretty much set up for failure, right Chris? I have no star players at my disposal going into the draft. For a guy who sucks at that, I put together what might be the best wide receiver draft class in all of fantasy football history. It started with, in the fifth round, I took Cooper Cup. In the seventh round, I took Jamar Chase. Then I took Henry Ruggs, who at the beginning of the season was doing pretty well. Then it was Antonio Brown. Then it was Emmanuel Sanders. But it all started with my first round pick, which is Kelvin Ridley. Ridley, Cup, Jamar Chase, Antonio Brown, Ruggs, Sanders. That was my draft class at wide receiver. Chris, all of those guys were studs when they were playing. The only reason that I won my fantasy football championship is because of Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase. Can you imagine drafting outside the t- a wide receiver outside the top five rounds and ending up with the number one and the number four wide receiver in all of fantasy football? How unprecedented is that? I don't know. If, I didn't think anybody thought that Cooper Cup would have that big of an impact with Matt Stafford. No, I, I I don't think they did, but, but I don't think he would have done the same had uh, Robert Woods not gotten hurt. I made a point to stay away from Jamar Chase because he was dropping everything in preseason. <sighs> it's hilarious. In fact, Jamar Chase, I, excuse me, he was third. So I had two of the top three wide receivers in all of fantasy football with Nick Chubb, Chase Edmonds. I played Foster Moreau, the Patriots defense against the Jaguars. Justin Tucker, like, I, I remember telling, here's the worst part. 
I was going to cover one's Greg Thompson for fantasy football advice, which if any of you out there have a need for anything like that, he's your guy. I was going to him for fantasy advice. He's in 22 leagues this year. Chris, that's a sickness, right? That is, I wouldn't. He should seek counseling. Yeah, I wouldn't do 22 leagues. So he, I went to him for help because I was literally, I had no, because of COVID and injury, I had no running backs. I had to start at one point this season three running backs off waivers who were all slated to get less than five points that week. And it didn't go well. So to know that I came from that point in the season to winning the whole thing on the backs of this crazy wide receiver draft class, I told Greg, I have no choice but to win it because this will never happen again. You'll never have a draft like that. No one ever will. I think it's the most perfect wide receiver draft class in all fantasy. I dare any of you out there listening to this to challenge me for that crown. Oh, but there we go. That's a, that, that, that's a winning with a... I want prize money with a comma in it on that one. And I'll take that to the bank. I like it. Chris, there's a lot to like heading into week 18, isn't there? We all get that off our chest. Now the pressure's over. There's no more fantasy football. There's nothing else. It's... This is the part of the football season that I think I enjoy the most, and yet I, I'm also the most nervous of. Because when you don't have fantasy football to distract you, all you have is the game. The game and the results and the weight of those results. And we're entering a week 18 where we have literally everything at stake. So I want to kick right into this conversation. Week 18 preview. The New York Jets against the Buffalo Bills. Time, 4.25 p.m. That's right, 4.25 p.m. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium. The weather, it's a rain-snow mix, high 30s. It's going to be a real ugly day. I'd like to know, last time Buffalo played at home, in the 430 spot or 405. I've got more on that coming. But so when we look ahead to the referee assignments for who's going to be the crew, and when we look at the lines on the game, Chris, the Bills are a 16 and a half point favorite, which is a record seventh time in 18 games that the Bills have been favored by double digits this season. How crazy is that? It's nuts. We haven't seen it in 30 years. John Hussey. Heard of him. For what? Anything good? Being a hussy. <laughs> That's the crew. So if I go to, let's see. So according to NFLPenalties.com, John Hussey's crew is the third lowest in terms of total flags thrown in the NFL entering this game. That's got to bode well for the Buffalo Bills, right? Seems to. I like my football when the referees stay out of it. It seems like John Hussey's up there with Bill Vinovich. Just staying out of it. Let the boys play. <laughs> Let the boys play. And Chris, who are the people at home going to have on the call? Kevin Harlan and Trent Green on Kevin CBS. Harlan. You mean to tell me that they couldn't give us Kevin Harlan a few weeks ago? Against no. uh, against the Patriots, but they can give us Kevin Harlan now. Yeah. Oh, that's Kevin Harlan on the call. Now, the first thing I want to say about this, the flex schedule. Chris, you brought it up. Now, when I got the notice about this, I was sitting on the edge of the tub at about 3 a.m. 
It's Sunday night, waiting for the towel to set Monday morning, waiting for the Tums to kick in. Because for some reason, after the tailgate on Sunday, I thought that mixing a bunch of stuffed jalapenos with Portuguese moonshine when I got home was going to be a good idea. And I, I can't lie, it was not. And my reaction to the news was pretty mixed. I mean, on one hand, I've tailgated for and attended all manner of football games. Heat waves, snowstorms, prime timers, early mornings where the sun doesn't come out until well after 8 a.m. But thinking back over my more than a decade of having season tickets, I couldn't recall a single time where I've attended a 4 p.m. kickoff here at home. There's a reason for that. It hasn't happened since they opened the 2009 season with back-to-back 4 p.m. home games against the NFC South Buccaneers and Saints. We went one and one in those games. Out of all the things that seem like they'd be Buffalo Bills firsts for me in terms of attending a game, this is going to be one of them. And I don't think I like it. Chris, what are your thoughts about a 4 p.m. start here at home in the city of Buffalo? It's nice to be kind of like the sun goes down at like, what, 5.15? Yeah, five, so about that. Kind of like a nice night game, more tailgate time. That might help for some others. Those people won't be entering the game. I think about it like this, Chris. The early mornings that I get out there in the stadium parking lot are pretty peaceful. And you also get to travel to the game without any other local traffic. There's no people out shopping. There's no blue hairs out going to church. Nobody else is out there gumming up the works for you to get to the game. That's not going to be the case on Sunday. There's no competition for the best parking spots in the lot at 6 a.m. I don't know what's going to happen now. Chris, how early do I have to get there to get our usual spot? 6 (laughs) a.m.? I may have to. And for me, it's always nice waking up a little bit. Well, just being out there in the crisp air, watching the sky gradually kind of lighten up. Warming myself over the grills that are getting hot while the sun's coming up. There's just, I don't know, there's something about it. Like that being the way that my day starts, just darkness with the glow of the stadium off in the distance. And Chris, how close are we? We can see the stadium. Yeah. Pretty clearly from where we are. We're the clo- where we are one. If you're not in lot one, we're the closest lot to lot, lot one to the stadium. And yet we're there before sunup. And I get to just see that against the skyline, and it just gives me this feeling of peace. I've, tell, I've talked about this ad nauseum. It's like church for me. It's centering. It's, it puts me at peace as a person. I'm a better person when I get to go do these things and share these experiences with people. And now I don't know what to do. Chris, I, going into this, I'm out of my element. I feel like Ricky Bobby doing his first TV interview. I don't know what to do with my hands. I mean, what time do you show up? 6 a.m. seems way too early, but 10 a.m. seems way too late. You get there early. I think enough. our average tailgate goes about six and a half hours. You get there early enough to make breakfast at the tailgate and then also a late lunch. I figure our normal tailgates, let's call it, we get there by quarter after six, six thirty. So six, six to seven to eight to nine to ten to eleven to twelve and then twelve thirty. So that's seven hours, right? If my math checks. So. Do I show up, still show up seven hours later? Like, is that the same thing? Do I just roll that forward? No, you add time to it. (laughs) And then the worst part is when you get home, by the time you get everything unpacked, the 8 p.m. football game is already on. What do you do with that? 
I'm used to having that kind of wind down time before I open my final beer for the night, sit down, start rewatching a little bit of the Bills game and watch some eight o'clock football. That's done. No, I, you should live in my world where you only get to watch the Sunday night game. See? And so does it make me seem do I come across like an entitled prick complaining about this? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted to ask you, sir. Well, I'm sorry. I'm going to enjoy this for what it is, then. I'll stop my whining. As a tailgate purist, it feels wonky, but I'm going to let it go. Because I'm going to be out there with a brisket for Hugo nonetheless, as he's never had a true American brisket. And me and Iman will be damned if we let him go home without having one of the tastiest cuts of barbecue to, to grace God's green earth. Iman's going to be chefing up burn ends with his Q42 barbecue sauces and rubs, so stop by the tailgate if you're interested in picking some up for yourself, or if you just want to try what we're chefing up. Maybe have a few beers with the old boy. I'm going to be doing the flat Texas style. Just a simple dirty Dalmatian rub with a nice spritz of cider vinegar and my secret ingredient, Buffalo Trace Bourbon Beef Marinade. You buy that, you mix it with cider vinegar and a little bit of salt and pepper, and then you use that as your spritz. It's one of the best tasting briskets you'll ever have. Make sure you stop by 5330 Big Tree Road in the mud lot, have a beer with Hugo before he heads back to Portugal, and grab yourself a slice or two. Now, in terms of the game, Chris, in 2010, the NFL reorganized the schedule to put more divisional games at the end of the season to make it more interesting for people, make it give it more intrigue. And I feel like that's worked, don't you? Yeah, I like that idea. Look at what we're going to have this week. Sunday night, a kind of a win and in game between divisional rivals at the end of the year. I think that's pretty fitting. Yeah, not unless the Colts lose to the Jaguars and then... And then the Raiders and Chargers can just take knees for three hours and tie zero zero, and they both get in. This is one of the dumbest scenarios that I would love to see happen. Anarchy, <laughs> anarchy. I when I look, it's worked. It's given the NFL more robust ratings, and while that's been great, it hasn't always gone well for the Buffalo Bills in the big picture. We've had our share of memorable wins, right? I mean, first of all, okay, the time Doug Marone beat the Patriots, right? Beats the Patriots, goes 9-7, to seven, and then flees town. <laughs> and then bails out. <laughs> they thought he did a good enough job to get get himself uh, hired elsewhere. Yeah, and then his baloney-eating ass was, the, what, offensive line coach at Alabama? To where he is now. Look at you, Doug Marone. Uh, The time, Rex Ryan, in what might go down as the pettiest victory of my season ticket-holding life, beat the Todd Bowles-led Jets 22-17 and bounced him and Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the only real shot at the playoff appearance that they'd ever have in their careers. Chris, Ryan Fitzpatrick still hasn't made a playoff game. That's nuts for how many teams he's played for. That was his shot, and Rex Ryan stole it. Last year, when the Bills throttled the Dolphins in what was supposed to be their must-win game, and in the process outscored them using an armada of backup football players. There have also been some absolute atrocities in there. Uh, 2011, on New Year's Day, when the Bills get blown out by the Patriots, while Chan Gailey benches Stevie Johnson at halftime for pulling one of his t-shirt message gags. Do you remember that? Well, when did it... What did it say? I just know, I know the Bengals one was uh, why so serious. Yeah, but after that, he kept doing it. 
And they were like, okay, well, you can't do that anymore. It's not productive. We don't want it. Blah, 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 blah. So he did it anyway. And Chan Gailey benched him in the game, and we went on to get blown out in the second half of that game. It's the Patriots because he was all we had offensively. I mean, do you remember those teams? I don't want to. They were terrible. I mean, I only remember it because I spent that whole Sunday shirtless, hungover, drinking five bottles. Because this was my, this used to be before I was married and had a family, and now I got to be a reformed individual. Um, I used to spend every single New Year's Day hung over in my apartment with a crock pot full of barbecue meatballs and five bottles of Andre cold duck. You know, the, the sh- like the $6 champagne? Yeah. The purple version. That's like just carbonated wine. And I would drink my way through that over the course of the day to get rid of my hangover and kind of just help me ease into the new year. And I remember that game just ruined my day. Even hammered on Andre. That game wrecked my afternoon. Uh, Chris, you might like it. The time Brian Brom and Levi Brown took snaps against the Jets, and we lost 38-7. to I like it. <laughs> how about, oh, how about this, Chris? Your shining moment watching football with me. The time Anthony Lynn took over as head coach, and not only did we lose 30-10 to to the Jets, but one of the most improbable touchdowns ever got scored and I remember your head almost exploding off of your shoulders when it happened. Just, Chris, play the audio. Easy to say after the fact that Carr either shouldn't have been in there or should have just been handing the ball off. That's hindsight. And unfortunately for the Raiders, it'll be Matt McGloin as their quarterback. That one bounces in, and the Bills goes to get it. Now Gillisley tracks it down in the end zone. You can't let it go. That's a touchdown. Yeah. What are the Bills doing? It's Andrew Catalan from CBS. <laughs> Chris, I know my freakouts during the games are the stuff of legend. Like that's you. How many times? How many gifts do you have of me right now? Maybe like fifty. Okay. Generally speaking, I am the show, quote unquote, that people come out to see during Bills games. But your reaction to that play where the Jets kicked the ball off and Mike Gillisley stood there in the end zone and stared at it and didn't think he had to down it might have been just pure unbridled disgust. (laughs) Might have been one of my favorite moments of watching football with you ever. (laughs) Do you still remember how angry you got? Yeah. Are you still that angry about it? I mean, I don't like listening to that, but (laughs) I mean... Any any piece of audio I've ever gotten for the show, I still have saved away. So that's why I knew I could come to you for it. And yet, under Sean McDermott, things have been pretty, pretty, pretty good in the final week of the NFL season. In 2017, we beat Miami and helped Kyle Williams score one of, I think, as a fan, one of the most gratifying fat guy touchdowns I've ever seen. I think we can both agree, right? His touchdown in Miami and then the subsequent like touchdown celebration was pretty great. Yeah. 2018. Well, and then we go on for this to, to just have this inex- inexplicable playoff berth. 2018 playoffs are out of reach. Josh Allen explodes all over the Dolphins after Kiko Alonjo puts a cheap shot on him. And the whole roster takes issue in the form of our second major fist fight involving ejections that season. 
And our 48 points in that one ensured Adam Gase would have to do the walk of shame that so many of his predecessors did from Buffalo back to Miami just to get fired when he got home. In 2019, with the playoffs clinched in the division impossible to win, we benched a bunch of our starters. But because Sam Darnold sucks, I mean, that guy stunk on ice. We were able to take a halftime lead 6-3 to three before losing 13-6. to six. That was funny to me. Were you there for that? Which game? The, the Jets game at the end of the year where they benched all their starters and you go, okay, the Jets are going to steamroll us, but we're here more for the party and just to soak up the atmosphere. Rowan Keating came in from Australia. Yeah, I was there. That was 19, 19. I went to all the games. Yep. And then we almost, we were winning at halftime. And everyone's looking around going, what the hell's wrong with this Jets? <laughs> How badly do you suck? <laughs> and then in 2020, with the division clinched and the Dolphins needing just one win to land a playoff berth, we slammed the door on their fingers like only Buffalo seems to be able to do when it comes to those chumps wearing deal. Chris, it's something that we're going to have to talk about in the AFC East roundup this week with uh, El Fartiaga. But something about, first of all, it's incredibly gratifying to know that we just keep, sh- like, that we get to shut the door on those guys. That game was intensely gratifying. But then you watch what happened to the Dolphins this past week. Do they have a coaching problem? Like, in the biggest moments, that guy just shrivels. Like George Costanza getting out of the pool. I don't know. They might. We'll have to see what they do in the uh, the offseason. Off he just completed his, what, third year? Yeah. And he's on a five-year deal? Five-year deal. And we're getting close, Chris. That seat's getting awful hot down there in Miami. So with that in mind, we head into this one with a legitimate purpose. Ownership of the AFC East title and the mantle of first team to win the AFC East in back-to-back years, not in the damn Patriots, for the first time since the turn of the century. Considering all the successes we've had, even when our seasons in the final week of the season were basically over, is there anybody out there doubting the Bills will come out prepared, emotionally ready, to just avoid a letdown this weekend? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Chris. So let's let's dig into this one a little. Because for as much as it would be easy to sit here and talk shit and make jokes about the New York Jets and just what a bunch of pushovers they are, these guys from New Jersey actually almost pulled off one of I, I Chris. I don't think it would be an exaggeration to call the Jets 
beating Tampa Bay last weekend, if they had managed to hold off down the stretch, keep Tampa Bay out of the end zone, is that in the running for the most improbable upset of the year? Nope, Jaguars over Bills. Ah, is that though? I mean, yeah, every, everyone knows every the, good team has had a horrible loss. The okay, but the defending Super Bowl champions on a hot streak. Yeah, they also lost nine nothing to the Saints with what Taysom Hill to the Trevor S- Simeon to the Saints, who have a great head coach, a veteran head coach, a head coach that knows them very well and has proven that he has Bruce Arians' number. Correct? No, it's not. It's Jaguars Bills. Worst loss of, worst upset of the season. I love how prissy you get about this with your with your <laughs> ungelled hair. Your attitude sucks today, and no, I, I love got, it. I got pomade in this. You kidding me? Oh, and so with that, we turn to one of our favorites when it comes to talking all things Jets, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you, sir? Hey, boys. Pleasure to be with you as always. And I have one question as far as what you were just talking about. I can't remember. Did the Jaguars beat the Bills at home, or was that a road game? That was the Bills on the road. Okay, so then the the two losses would have been somewhat comparable, because I was thinking if that was at home, then you would say the Bills one was worse. So for those of you who don't listen to, and I know who you are. Yeah, that's right. I see the download numbers. I see the locations. I know that there's some of you out there listening to this right now that don't go check out the AFC's Roundup every week. Scott joins us every single week to break down what's going on with his team on the other side of the fence for the New York Jets. He's a, he's the lead podcaster for Play Like a Jet. He's created the Play Like a Jet network, which gives you daily Jets content. It's actually pretty impressive. Chris, what kind of a sicko do you have to be? I think this is why we get along with him so well. How sick do you have to be to create daily content? Like Good daily content, creative stuff on the New York Jets. Yeah, for a team that's been as bad as they have been. The Rex Ryan years almost killed us. Okay, My liver almost shut down, and that was one day a week. That was one singular day of podcasting, and yet somehow, sir, you have outdone yourself. Uh, it, he's a long season. He's a long suffering Jets uh, ticket holder. He's also a fellow lover of offensive comedy, like we are. And so, mm-hmm. I, I want to start this conversation like this. Is it fair to say that, kind of unlike Dan Soder, Big J Okerson, or Louis J Gomez, the 2021 Jets haven't given you much of anything to smile about this year? <laughs> That's true. I also would like to give a shout out to Dave Smith, who's the fourth <laughs> member of the squad. Dave Smith that is we great. Forgot to mention, but yes, listen, it's not exactly been a banner season. But the one thing I will say is, and we've talked about this on the AFC East Roundup, there have been moments, and this past Sunday against Tampa was one of them. And I'll tell you why. I went to that game because I figured. Yes, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, it's January. Yes, there are better things I could do with my time. But it was going to be in all likelihood because I guess if he's 52 years old, he could come back again and play. And it's Tom Brady, so who knows? In almost all likelihood, it's pretty much guaranteed that this will be the final time Tom Brady plays against the Jets at MetLife Stadium. So I figured... One last chance to see the greatest of all time play. As a football fan, I wanted to go see it. So we went, and I'll tell you something. What could I possibly have asked for that was more than what I got? We got one last incredible performance with a phenomenal ending from not only Brady in NFL history. Then, of course, we get Antonio Brown 
basically <laughs> retiring in the most insane way I've ever seen in my life, which at the time I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought he just got hurt and was giving the fans a souvenir. But apparently he lost his mind and decided he doesn't want to play football wait, anymore. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. No. Antonio Brown lost his mind? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I can't believe so, it. What are the odds? So we got that. And then on top of it, Zach Wilson was awesome. That was his best top to bottom game of the season. And the Jets lost and preserved their draft position. So everything came up Jets on Sunday, as far as I'm concerned. And if you were a football fan, this was one of those rare cases where normally I'd say if the Jets are the team that are the local team in your market and you don't have direct ticket, maybe go mow your lawn or something, (laughs) take the kids out somewhere. But this was uh, an entertaining back and forth battle the whole way. It was an excellent football game. You got a whole lot of drama, the great ending, all of that. So this was one of those rare Sundays where, as you said, haven't been a lot of smiles this year, but this one did make me smile. No, and, and it's it's crazy because this the way this season has gone, I mean, up and down quarterback development, you got an offensive line that's once again derailed by injuries and just some, some players just simply not being effective. Uh, defensive identity that because of injuries and at times I think just the offense being so poor – it became really difficult to try to establish what the Jets' defensive identity was supposed to be. I, I mean, we always break your balls over at the AFC's Roundup that the Jets are a difficult watch. But you guys put one hell of a scare into one of the NFL's best teams, and I was thinking about it on the drive over here before we did, did the podcast tonight. When you look back at this Jets' season and you see that they have a limited number of wins, one of the interesting things is that you guys have given some really good football teams some pretty solid games. I mean, Chris, think about it this way. Uh, you've got, if you're the Jets, you have a win over Cincinnati, who is currently the three seed in the AFC. You have a win over the current one seed in the AFC. And you have an almost victory against the defending Super Bowl champions who are going to be, I believe, a, th- a four seed or a three seed in the NFC conference, in the NFC bracket. So, they have found ways to perform well against teams that are good. And I don't know. I don't know how much of that is repeatable over and over again. But I kind of want to take a look at that situation and see what potholes that myself and other Bills fans might need to be aware of to ensure that there aren't any flat tires on our way down Victory Road on our way to a second straight AFC East title. I want to start with Zach Wilson. Now, this is a player we didn't get to see the first time around. That first game, he was still injured. The Bills came in and did the thing. Now, we t- we always talk about... Uh, we, we know that Sean McDermott has a really impressive record against first-year quarterbacks or quarterbacks with less than one year of starting experience. I think any good defensive coach, it's kind of like Belichick. He has the same record. Like young, young quarterbacks really struggle to beat him for the same reasons young quarterbacks struggle to beat the Buffalo Bills. With that in mind, when we last saw the Jets, your rookie quarterback was going on his third game. And we kind of broke down for our listeners. Like that's the game where all of the tape finally catches up with you. And that good coaches can usually. Okay, game one, they, they're just looking for, okay, what are your mechanics like under certain situations? Cause you can't take too much away from it. Game two is where you start to see situational decision making and you start to say, okay, these are this guy's tendencies. This is how this works. This is how this works. Once you have those two things and you can break down that film, you marry them together. And in game three, the wheels usually come off to a certain degree for young quarterbacks. 
But this is going to be the Bills' first matchup with Zach Wilson. And I'm just looking at what he's been doing lately. You know, the, Chris, we talked ad nauseum about how bad he was to start the year, right? And yep. we've made a whole season out of it over at the Roundup podcast. Back-to-back games, though, with a better than 89 passer rating, four straight games without a pick after starting the season pretty much pacing the NFL in turnovers. He had lapped quarterbacks by like two or three times by the fifth, sixth, seventh week of the season. And he took just one sack while playing behind a line that's missing a lot of its key components and it really hasn't been that great. When you think about Zach Wilson coming into this matchup against the Buffalo Bills defense the way we've been playing, first of all, what does Zach Wilson under pressure look like? Well, it's interesting because, first of all, one thing that I should say, in addition to having a lot of the members of the offensive line out, is that this is the list of players that Zach Wilson was playing with on Sunday against the defending Super Bowl champions. And as you said, going up against one of the best defensive coaches in the entire league, our old friend Todd Bowles, for whatever you want to say about him as a head coach, there's zero debating that he is an elite defensive coordinator. We all know that. So he went into war against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with these guys as his surrounding talent. Ty Johnson... Austin Walter, Michael Carter at running back. Michael Carter went out in the first quarter with an injury. So it was Ty Johnson and Austin Walter the whole game. At tight end, Kenny Eboa and Daniel Brown both called off, up off the practice squad. Austin Walter, by the way, also called up off the practice squad. At wide receiver, Braxton Berrios, who's been a pleasant surprise, but I don't think anybody's going to be mistaking him for Stefan Diggs. You also had Keelan Cole and Jeff Smith. So those are the guys that Zach Wilson had to work with, and yet he still had his best game as a pro. He did it against arguably the best team in the league, or if not the best team, certainly one of the best as the defending Super Bowl champions, and one of the best defensive minds in football in Todd Bowles. So I think that's impressive, and he's gotten better each week. The Miami Dolphins game against Brian Flores and a very aggressive defense. He started to play much better last week against the Jaguars. Now, to be fair, the Jaguars really aren't that good, but still, he played really, really well. And you just mentioned him facing pressure. Now, one thing that I noticed about him early in the season that has changed a lot is that when the pressure would come, he would panic. He would either run backwards and get hit risking a potential sack or or perhaps uh, excuse me a potential fumble on a sack or he would chuck the ball up when he shouldn't or whatever it was that he would do that was a panic move what we've seen more i think since he came back from the knee injury and he's got more confidence in that knee is that he's using his legs not only as a weapon, but also as a way to truly avoid trouble. And I don't mean, like I said, just running around aimlessly trying to, to find a play to make. He'll use his legs to do that, but he'll also use his legs to buy time to try and get rid of the ball in case he can't find anybody. And he, at one point this season, I'd love to see the updated numbers, was worse than the league against the Blitz. I'll give you an example of how he looks a lot different in that regard. So this past game against Tampa Bay, Vita Vea was coming in unblocked. Looked like he was about to send Zach Wilson straight to the hospital. And as he's about to just kill Wilson, instead of, as I said, doing what Trevor Lawrence did last week against the Jets, running back 20 yards, fumbling the ball, or 
chucking the ball up and risking interception or just taking a really bad sack. He calmly flicked the ball to Ty Johnson, who was his security blanket. Johnson took the ball 25 yards for a big first down gain. So that is a major difference that we're seeing from Wilson. If you watch, and I always say, when you're in the the stadium, you get that all-22 view. And anybody who's ever watched all-22 film knows what I'm talking about. You can see the entire field, so you get a much fuller picture of what's going on if you're trying to review somebody's film. When you see Zach Wilson from within the stadium, you can see him going through his reads. You can see him much more calmly. You can see his footwork. You can see how much more poised he is. He just looks like a different guy than he did early in the season. And what happened against the Bucks, what made it so good, is that for as awesome as he was against the Tennessee Titans, a lot of what he did, you just alluded to this, was unrepeatable. Like that pass to Corey Davis was incredible. And yeah, maybe you're going to do that a handful of times. Well, for, for Bills Even fans, Josh Allen for, well, I was going to say, for Bills fans who don't know what you're talking about, guys, think back to the game where we beat the Jaguars. And Josh Allen stands in the pocket, gets hit while he's standing there and delivers a downfield strike that goes for a 70 something yard touchdown and changes. I mean, that, that was Chris, that was our big score of the game. And at the same time, like that was the same type of play because if you ask a quarterback to stand in the pocket with that much pressure in their face and make another downfield pass to a running wide receiver who's on the move and you're just trying to lead him to a spot far enough for a big play, nine times out of 10, those passes don't get completed. So the, kind of the spirit of what you're saying, it seems like he is starting to finally, oh, the, the rough edges have kind of been smoothed out and you're starting to see more of the player that they drafted when they took him number two overall. I mean, I know it, he was the butt of a lot of jokes, but it seems sure. like it's working. One of the things I notice when I pick through the numbers, because I say, okay, I'm not going to sit down and watch the whole game. I want to look at some of the numbers, some of the analytics, and I want to take a look at this. It seems like his performance is in, he doesn't have many weapons around him, but his play is getting better at the same time as the line is starting to, like, you, you see pass blocking grades starting to go up. You see guys being a little more effective in run blocking. It just seems like the guys in front of him who were kind of a tire fire to start the season, which makes sense. You threw a rookie in, in Elijah Vera Tucker, who he built, Bill's draft Twitter was in love with Vera Tucker. Um, there, you guys have some pieces. With Becton still out, and he's kind of been in and out for most of the year, your line never really had a chance to get settled early on. Now that you guys are starting to settle in a little bit, I'm noticing that all these run-blocking, pass-blocking grades are increasing, surprisingly against a team like Tampa Bay, knowing what their front seven is. And the result is a quarterback who seems a little more confident in trying to execute your offense. When you, If we're just talking about the offensive line for a second, the makeup of these guys heading into this game. I know Becton, Becton's out. Um, Morgan Moses has been solid, maybe not spectacular, but solid for you guys based on everything I've read and heard. Mm-hmm. What do you think the lineup is going to be, and how do you think that matches up against our defensive line? Well, the big question with the offensive line is whether or not George Fant is going to play. George Fant's been pretty good this year. I think some Jets fans have gotten a little carried away. And in fact, we, we've been joking about it on Twitter where it seems like, if I may quote the great Roy Jones Jr., y'all must have forgot how good Mekhi Becton was when he was playing last year because people will say, oh, Fant is better than Becton. And then you go back and you look at tape. 
of Becton just straight up shutting down both Bosa brothers, whereas Fant hasn't really had to play those type of elite edge rushers. But he's been a really pleasant surprise at left tackle since Becton got hurt and he had to shift over there. But he got hurt in this game against the Buccaneers. As of this recording, we're still waiting to get an update on whether or not he's going to play on Sunday. So obviously that would help a lot. But the fact that he missed a good portion of that game also speaks well of Wilson because if you look at the offensive line at the moment, Connor McGovern, the starting center, got hurt last week. He's done for the season. So you're not going to have to deal with him. You've got a backup center in there. You may or may not have to deal with Fant. So if it's not Fant, I think it would be Chuma Adoga, who is not very good. But think about the fact that now you're on your two starting tackles to start the season would not be in the lineup, mm-hmm. Becton and Fant. Then you have Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who the Jets got at a trade deadline deal, who hadn't played football in like two years. He'd been injured, then he opted out for COVID because he's a doctor, and he wanted to help out with the pandemic. So he opted out to do that. The Jets get him after, again, he hadn't played in like two years. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's been amazing, but he's been a a reasonably decent upgrade over what they had before, which was Greg Van Roten, who's outright terrible. Vera Tucker has played very well for the most part. He's had a couple of weeks where he's been somewhat pedestrian. But what I'm saying is, if you look at it, look at the offensive line. Game one, the Jets started Mekhi Becton, George Fant, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Greg Van Roten. Of those five guys, only Elijah Vera Tucker is guaranteed as of this moment to be in the lineup on Sunday. And so when you, you take a look at that, Coming off you would maybe say that best plays pr- to the Bills' advantage. But as you said, Wilson has seemed to get more comfortable behind those guys, which I think is a testament to him. So they'll they'll have opportunities. If, if they, you know, McDermott's a smart guy, he'll have opportunities. But like you said, Wilson only got sacked once against a really strong Tampa Bay team. Granted, they were missing Levante, David, and Shaq Barrett, but still, uh, it, it could be interesting. Uh, the general line is not all that good, but like you said, they performed at a much higher level than, than anybody had any right to expect against Tampa. And, and talking about Elijah Vera Tucker, for those of you out there who are just interested, he hasn't allowed a sack since week one. As a rookie, playing on an offensive line that's not affording him a ton of help around him, and he, he's coming off probably the best game statistically of his entire career as an interior blocker, both in the run game and in the passing game, which I find really impressive considering it's against that super tough Tampa Bay front. I think that this belief that we're just going to push over their offensive line. We talked last week ahead of the uh, ahead of the Atlanta game. We talked about how their team was basically tent-pulled. They had a couple star players with a bunch of crap in between that pretty much ensured that whatever those talented players would try to execute would probably be undone by the poor play by the guys around them, especially the guys in the offensive line. All of that came to fruition. You know, We broke it down in our recap that our defensive line beat them like a drum. Your offensive line has been trending. Like, I don't see any of that. The, the, the issues aren't nearly as glaring, which means that as you guys get better up there, I, I expect that this quarterback with a little bit of athleticism, it's definitely going to be something the Bills have to be prepared for in terms of off-script plays, in terms of his ability to extend plays, to evade the pocket. 
that's now a, f- a more prominent thing that we're going to have to contend with than we did the first time around when we played your football team. On the other side of the football, you're, I, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, your units on defense has been one of the worst in the NFL. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's, it's been, <laughs> you guys are leading, you guys are, I should say leading, I guess, if you want to, if you were doing the inverse, like 32 through one, you own some of the ugliest metrics that you could ask for. When you look at cumulative stats, 28th and fourth quarter scoring allowed, 32nd in total yards, 27th and third down conversions, 31st in turnover differential. And yet, at the same time, you've managed a few quality spots of football. And the most recent being this one against Tampa Bay. And a lot of this has come, you know, we talked in the offseason about what a huge blow Carl Lawson was to your team. That was the plan. You know, you, you guys invested, you draft, you say, okay, we drafted some offensive linemen, we drafted a quarterback, we drafted a running back. We're going to spend our free agent capital on the defensive line. Then we're going to maybe pepper in a few more guys. We already have a CJ Mosley. We have a, a project group at cornerback that we hope can kind of hold down the fort until we can invest some more resources in it. But they seem like an athletic competitive bunch. And it's been up and down. It's been pretty bad. And you see it as it gets late into games. It's where that fourth quarter scoring comes from that a lot of times you guys have just been overmatched. But you've managed to pick spots where you can play with a little physicality. What is it that marks these games that you guys seem to do well in? When your defense does play well, what does the other team do that kind of affords you those opportunities? <laughs> it's an interesting question because the defense has been so bad. It just seems like sometimes the Jets play kind of a bend but don't break style, and then eventually it breaks. That's on the good days. On the bad days, they just get pounded from the very beginning. Uh, the the Saints kind of just beat them up that way. There's there's a lot of we've talked about this screens and draws have been a big problem for them. They look if you look at their personnel, the reality of the situation is their best players are all on the interior defensive line right now, and they're good, but they haven't been dominant enough this year to open things up for the players on the back seven who are largely if we're being honest about it, replacement caliber. Uh, C.J. Mosley is obviously C.J. Mosley. He's had a really nice year, and he's probably going to be in the top five or so for comeback player of the year because he's had a career high in tackles and played very well for the most part. He had a couple of games, uh, a rough stretch at one point where he wasn't great, but he's mostly been really good this year. Bryce Hall, the cornerback, has been solid. Some Jets fans have gotten way out over their skis on him, and they're trying to say he's a number one corner. You guys know what a number one corner looks like. You've mm-hmm. got Tredavious. I mean, you haven't seen him that much this year because he's been hurt, but you've got Tredavious White in Buffalo. That's what a number one cornerback looks like. This Hall's not that, but he's been a decent corner. Beyond that, man, it's rough back there. I mean, Quincy Williams, Quinnen's uh, younger brother, he's a high-effort guy. There are games where he makes a lot of tackles. He's always getting in there and getting physical, but... He over-pursues a lot. He makes a lot of boneheaded mistakes. I don't think that he's a long-term answer as a starting linebacker. I think he's a solid depth piece. At safety, it's just been beyond ridiculous. 
half the time we don't even know who these guys are. I mean, Elijah Riley, they got off the Eagles practice squad a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was another guy, uh, something uh, I forget his first name. His last name is Parks. He was playing Will Parks. That was it. He was playing quite a bit of safety. They had grabbed him off somebody's practice squad a week or two ago. Ashton Davis, who they drafted in the third round in 2019, uh, excuse me, 2020, who's been straight up abysmal. He's been absolutely awful. Some of the worst safety play in the NFL. Brandon Eccles has been a pleasant surprise as the second corner, but he's still really he's more of a depth corner. He shouldn't be starting. So you put all that together and they, they, they have no presence off the edge. I mean, Bryce Huff, who's been hurt a good portion of the year, is like a decent rotation piece. And Shaq Lawson, your old friend who you remember from Buffalo, he's like an okay rotation piece too. But those guys should not be starting as edge rushers anywhere. And yet they are for the Jets because, you know, as you mentioned, Carl Lawson went down. And this is why I keep telling people, that and Drew, you and I will talk about this in in greater detail. We'll have some fun with this on Play Like a Jet this week. A little bit of cross promotion there. Uh, I, I keep saying that if if I were the Jets, I would invest with those two first round picks in a cornerback and an edge rusher because that defense is so bad, and you have an opportunity to add two legitimately blue chip prospects at those premium positions. If you get that opportunity, don't waste it. But really, I would say that with Josh Allen and, and the Bills offense, I would run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, make the Jets stop it. Because, and, and this is something that I want to dig in uh, with you a little bit more when we do play like a Jet. It appears from what I can tell that Devin Singletary all of a sudden has really turned a corner, whereas he kind of struggled early in the season. I would think that Singletary, who played really well against the Jets the first time, you would really go to the well there a lot because that was one thing Tampa really couldn't do. They couldn't run the ball, but I'll tell you why. It's because they have Ronald Jones, the ghost of Le'Veon Bell, and Keyshawn Vaughn as their running backs. Those guys are all, let's be honest at this point, sort of replacement-level running backs. Oh, for sure. So what I would do if I were the Bills is – run the ball and force the Jets to stop it. And then after that, I mean, you've got a built-in advantage at receiver. You saw what Stefan Diggs did the first time. I mean, he ate the Jets secondary alive. So you can go to that, but well, I would not only that, but, but, run, but the here, ball, run the ball, run well, the ball. And, and any other week, I would, I'd laugh at you for suggesting that, but we're literally, this is, if that's the game plan that could unravel the Jets, this is the worst week to be playing the Bills because we're coming off the best rushing performance we've put together all season. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a team that might have finally hit its stride in that regard. At least they understand. Like, the offensive line executed, the running backs executed. Everybody had their shit together collectively. And the results are what you see. I I can't wait. I just, I, I can't wait to see how it, how it all lays out. I mean, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's so much at stake in this one. And yet, I just hope that these guys come out, play loose. They can go take care of business. I, 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 it pains me a little bit that it would come at the expense of a, you know, a guy I like so much. <laughs> it would come at the expense of you and your football <laughs> team and your football fandom. But that's life, baby. That, that is just life. Well, and so, Drew, Drew, I will say this though. Don't feel bad about any of that because you, you know this about me. Like, I just want to see Zach Wilson play well. I don't, the win and the loss don't really matter to me. In fact, oh, I for mean, sure. I, You'd almost take the loss. <laughs> 
Yeah, the loss is fine with me because it would help with draft position. And honestly, again, if we're keeping it real, if the Bills win, they get the division. If they don't, the Patriots get it. I don't think there are a lot of Jets fans that are very sympathetic to the Patriots. So (laughs) I'm not going to be that upset about it. I mean, yeah, there are some Jets fans that are fantasizing about getting revenge for what happened in 2015, but whatever. I mean, if that happens, fine, but I'm not really – look, I told you already – I left MetLife Stadium thrilled with the result because I got everything that I wanted. The Jets lost whatever. It didn't really matter to me. I just wanted Wilson to play well, and I got another classic Tom Brady performance. If Wilson plays well in that terrible Buffalo weather and the Jets lose and the Bills win the division, that's fine with me at least. I can't speak for all Jets fans, but that's where I'm at. Pleasure as always, Mr. Mason. Where can people find you on social media and where can they find your work over at Play Like a Jet? So you can find me at Play Like a Jet One on Twitter. I like to have fun. Uh, Drew and Chris, you guys know I'm very interactive. Uh, well, most of the time. <laughs> and then also we've got PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, Luke Grant. I call him the Thunder from Down Under because he's from the prison colony known as Australia. He always does a lot of the fun film breakdowns for us, and he's going to do one on Zach Wilson. Last week's people really enjoyed because he spent 12 minutes breaking down how well Wilson played. So imagine what he's going to do this week with Wilson's tape against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Also, the podcast is available anywhere that you download podcasts. So that's Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, whatever it is, seven days a week. Drew, you and Chris will be on this week. We'll be doing... Uh, uh, what I like to call know your foe, where we'll take a look at the bills through your eyes so that my audience has a better idea of what the Jets are facing, just as I hopefully helped you guys get a better idea of what the bills are facing on Sunday against the Jets. We've got midweek news and notes. Uh, We've got uh, we're going to probably do some draft content this week. We've got a Zach Wilson film show. We'll do the pregame report where we'll, get, where we'll give you some tips gambling-wise, give you an opportunity to make a few bucks before the final bets are in on Sunday morning. Also, give you the last-minute news and notes and injuries and all that. So, again, you can find that anywhere where you download podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we are recording this on a Tuesday And tomorrow, in my backyard in New Jersey, we're going to see a a matchup that will probably be a candidate for early match of the year 2022 between Brian Danielson and Adam Page on AEW Dynamite. So it's the first episode that they're doing on TBS. Might want to check that out. Scott Mason, Play Like a Jet. He's on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Folks, going to keep it short and sweet. Get you out of here. Oh, with this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I don't have a lot of them. It's kind of weak this week. Because, <sighs> Chris, what more can you say? It's like, it's, it's like to quote L. Davis, just win, baby. <laughs> just win. That's all we got to do. Get in the playoffs. That's it. You just have to beat one of the worst teams in football. I don't think I, I can overcomplicate this. Like, maybe it's me being just obtuse. Or maybe it's just me being a long-suffering fan who says, look, it's right here in front of you. I shouldn't have to break this down, and I don't have the energy to do it now. I just need you to show up. 
I've waited my entire life to experience a home playoff game, Chris. For more than a decade, I've bought season tickets. And I've and I know that a lot of you listening to the show are in the same boat I am. We've sat out there together and we've attended every single miserable piece of shit game from 2010 all the way through what the early 20 through 2015 through 2016. We've we've experienced the highs and the lows. We've sat out there and watched this football team. Good weather, bad weather. We've some weather that actually physically punishes you just for being outside in it. We've gone through all of this just for a taste of what might be right here on the doorstep. I know I'm not alone in feeling like this. They need to do it for us. There were points in this season where I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was crushed by the idea that the only home playoff games that the Bills would host this quarter century would be the ones that I didn't get to attend in 2020. And yet, Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, the offensive line, the running backs, everybody else, they've found their composure. They've, they're, they're clicking, Chris. They're doing the thing that, dare I say it, the Patriots did for years, which is where whenever you started to question them, and the season got late. They all of a sudden found their stride. They found a way to start hanging beatings on teams. They started finding ways to make things work, even when it didn't make sense. <laughs> it didn't make sense the ways that they won. They would do it. Tom Brady would have a bad game, but their defense would bludgeon a team to death with multiple turnovers and defensive touchdowns. They'd spend a game running it down their throat, and then Tom Brady, in a friggin' snowstorm... In Chicago, throws for 295 yards. I watched him throw a 50, I think a 58 yard touchdown pass. You do the inexplicable because it's in front of you and you can because you're a good football team. The Buffalo Bills have become that. But in order to grab that by the balls and make it, I guess just to make it a reality, you got to go out there and prove it this week against this opponent. Chris, against anybody else, I'd be more concerned. Now, it's on them. It's on the Buffalo Bills to a man to come into this game prepared to make sure that they're ready, to make sure that they've done their film study, to make sure that they're physically prepared to go out and wage war against one of the worst teams in football and give us all the maximum capacity home playoff game that we deserve. I can't wait for it. I, I can't wait. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Week 18 Preview. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.